Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Voice America Business Channel. We're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And today we're broadcasting from, from Los Angeles where the weather is absolutely magnificent. I'm sitting here with a little squirrel. We have squirrels that come in every day and uh, beg for almonds. So I'm sitting here looking at squirrels trying to get in the door looking for their almonds, and they sit there and and beg. They're very cute. Now, this program's all about helping entrepreneurs and, in fact, everybody in business to be more successful. We've been bringing you uh, information, great advice, and some unbelievably fantastic interviews for four years now, and we hope that this information is helping you to maximize your own success. Being an entrepreneur is interesting. You've got to sacrifice so much, don't you? I think, um, and 95% of entrepreneurs fail. And I think one of the reasons they do that is because um, they can't stick it out. So it's interesting that I think most of us would probably agree that um, the most fascinating entrepreneur in the world right now is Elon Musk. And he has an extraordinary ability to set up very unique companies, take legacy business strategies and turn them on their ear. Of course, he also has an extraordinary ability to manipulate the stock market by simply using his favorite form of communication, which happens to be Twitter. It was interesting that day before yesterday, he said that uh, in two days' time, there's going to be a big announcement from Tesla and it's not going to be about a motor car. And the stock went up 4%, which is about $6. <laughs> um, that's a lot when you consider how many shares are outstanding. Well, long before Musk became a millionaire at 28 after selling his first company, Zip2, he then progressed on to PayPal, then SpaceX, um, Solar City and Tesla, which gained Musk a net worth of about twelve billion dollars a day at twelve billion dollars. But before he did that, he lived off just one dollar a day. When he was at um, at college, he forced himself to live mainly on hot dogs and oranges, not because he was poor but he just did it to discipline himself and to see if he had what it takes to lead life as an entrepreneur with an uncertain future. So a buck a day to live on for food, hot dogs and and oranges. So while most undergraduates are focused mainly on how they're going to get a job when they leave, when they graduate, Musk was focused on how he could help shape the future of humanity using the internet and space exploration exploration and energy efficiency. He wanted to be a 20-something graduate, not taking a job, 
so he could start his own technology business and last as long as possible with no money. So he figured that it's pretty easy to keep yourself alive in America because things are so cheap here. So his threshold for existence was pretty low. So a cheap apartment, a computer, and 30 bucks a month for food. So he'd buy hot dogs and oranges in bulk, and uh, he would occasionally change his diet a bit with uh, pasta and tomato sauce. <laughs> Jeez, I'm going to start trying this tomorrow. Um, he pulled it off. It worked, didn't it? it um, this experience gave him the assurance that he didn't need a comfortable salary to survive, allowing him the freedom to pursue his goals. Wow. Now, that's sacrifice. And that is what you have to have to be an entrepreneur. I, I know a lot of grads out of um, places like George Washington, and uh, you know they leave they leave work, they leave college, and they start work on you know sixty, eighty, a hundred, hundred and twenty grand a year, and uh, you know asking them to live on a dollar a day, I don't think that would work. But an IQ of one hundred and sixty probably doesn't hurt either. Incidentally, I read today that he reportedly has a higher IQ than almost all of the other 1,645 billionaires on the planet. That's incredible, isn't it? That bit disruptive technology. Think of how iTunes, Uber, Airbnb, Amazon, what else can I think of? Netflix and a whole bunch of others have disrupted competitive legacy industries and they've ended up monopolising their particular industry and they've achieved extraordinary market capitalizations. I'm going to talk about market caps next week um, and why a company with absolutely no revenue can get market caps of hundreds, even billions of dollars. Uh, so we'll talk about that next week. So I'm involved with CQS International which is quite an extraordinary company with amazing team of core people in it that, you know, very seldom, not better in a long time, do you find a group of people that work so well, that mesh in so well together, that really understand um, the, um, the program, particularly when it's very advanced um, technology. So, and what CQS is doing... Um, is disrupting the insurance industry, initially focused on South America and, and Asia, which is a combined strategy of acquisition and sophisticated big data. Um, it represents a new way of doing business because it uses advanced technology to revolutionise legacy industries by building a close relationship with potential clients, then using um, predictive analysis and geofencing to be able to reach the right person at the right time with the right product at the right price. It's, it's quite remarkable technology. Um, we're doing it with, with partners like Amazon and, um, and Microsoft and Sitecore and a number of others. But have a look, if you get a chance, at the Forbes article. Just look up Forbes on your, um, on your poo and put in from broke to $170 million in six months. You'll find it a fascinating article. Now, disrupting an industry or a business has become a business model on its own. 
All you need, really, is a better way to communicate with your customers and potential customers and then provide the goods and services they want at the right place at the right time and deliver to it to them in the right way, the way that they want to be delivered information. Of course, most startups have business models that would have been impossible prior to the digital era. And, uh, you know, other startups exploit inefficiencies in existing industries, sometimes challenging incumbents in almost monopoly positions, or sometimes they uh, simply introduce order into previously fragmented markets. But there are eight different types of disruption strategies today. And uh, although disruption is often something that happens very fast, which it is, um, CQS, the company that I'm talking about, has only really been in business for about four months. And uh, while the, the disruptor grows rapidly, the process nearly always creeps up in the uncum- incumbent. The incumbents are sitting around doing the same stuff they've always done. They're aware of the technology, but they don't do anything about it. Um, but because they've got conventional business structures and they, they just they can't move these big ships around fast enough. So their response, legacy companies' response to disruption is really slow, difficult to manage, and they wake up one morning and they're screwed. And in a large company, it's easy to miss something that initially appears insignificant, you know? So if you're sitting out there and you've got a nice, cosy business, been going along for 25 years, Disruption might already be happening in your market, even if you think it's too small to have any sort of an impact on you. This is why in every case of disruption, the newcomers prevail. Legacy companies have all failed. It's extremely difficult to turn a legacy company into an e-commerce company. Extremely difficult. So these are the eight different digital archetypes and the ways in which they innovate and disrupt various markets. The first one is digital stores. You know, they just offer comprehensive digital stores providing one-stop shops. People like Amazon, Expedia, you know, they're really disruptive. Content hubs disrupt the media industry and change the ways in which consumers interact with media services. And this is really roaring at the moment. This is an area that is just going through the roof um, with people like iTunes and Netflix and Apple, Apple TV. It's just amazing. Um, Sharing hubs, which enable the accumulation of user-generated content. This really threatens mass media. And examples are things like Flickr, and YouTube, I mean, they're just killing them. Promoters, um, they introduce price transparency and take on the role of channeling price-conscious consumers to the best offers. It's about them interconnecting with the most important customer. And the most important customer right now is the omni-channel shopper. An example is somebody like Evine. 
aggregators. Now, aggregators allow customers to easily compare information-rich products in fragmented markets. They're just like a product catalogue of retailers. They act as intermediaries between those customers who are searching and comparing products and often smaller retailers in a variety of sectors. I guess you'd include um, Alibaba and Consumer World in that. Discriminators, well, they're built around customer opinions and reviews. They disrupt uh, established ways of defining qualities, particularly in service markets. So they're a major disruptive force because they rank products and services using a voting mechanism or they've got some sort of algorithm and things like TripAdvisor, Trustpilot, people like that. Crowdsources, they gather customers to source services or suppliers via a digital platform that's really straightforward, levelling the playing field between large and small suppliers. These are people like Kickstarter, um, Design Crowd, the only two I can think of at the minute. Matches reorganise the allocation of demand and supply in in, uh, markets that are really monopolised. For customers, they offer a way of finding the right provider of a service at the right time and at the right place. And that's what people want today. For suppliers, they're a way of securing business. This is people like Airbnb, who I absolutely love. Uber, who I absolutely love. CQS International, who I absolutely love. (laughs) They're my three absolute favourite matches and really disruptive. And they give the customer such a bloody fantastic deal. Now, you can expect almost every legacy business to have been disrupted in the next five years. Legacy businesses are gone. Every industry will be taking advantage of big data technology, predictive analysis and geofencing almost immediately. So it's a great day to be doing business. Fantastic. If you're in tune with modern technology. Now, contrary to reports a couple of months ago, including on this program, about Google terminating work on Glass, the company is actually sticking with Glass, irrespective of it being pretty controversial, because they believe that technology is just far too important to scrap. We know that it's made great difference in medical applications, but it, it stopped selling the first version of Glass, And they shut the Explorer program in January, moving the project out of its Google X secret research lab into a standalone unit. And this uh, created all the speculation that they were going to drop glass. But it's a big and very fundamental platform, and it's very, very futuristic. And Google, really, when you think about it, is about taking risks. So glass bit like Google's self-driving car. It's a long-term project. And these huge cutting-edge products take a lot of time. So I take back what I said about Google Glass. Google's also very interested in wearable computing devices, which is a potentially enormous market. 
IDC forecast last year that annual shipments will grow 78% a year to 112 million in three years' time. The most complex wearables, such as glass, which have their own internet connection and operate independently from smartphones, probably won't catch on quickly because the value proposition for users isn't exactly clear yet. But Google's working on another version of glass that'll be cheaper, have a longer battery life, improved sound quality and a better display. So unlike the first version of glass, work on the new version will happen behind the scenes, taking a page out of the Apple workbook. Um, I might add, have you seen the shoes that um, just by using your iPhone, you can change the color of your shoes, you can change the design of the shoes. So a woman could buy one pair of shoes and they could be a hundred different occasions and never wear the same shoes twice. They are fantastic, all from use of your iPhone. So you go to an event, somebody else has got the same shoes, use your iPhone, change the color of your shoes, change the pattern on your shoes. I love it. Um, Another thing I love is Amazon's won approval from US federal regulators to test delivery drones outdoors as they pursue their goal of sending packages to customers by air. The approval is a big win for Amazon, the largest e-commerce company in the United States, um, and advances their plans to deliver packaging using small self-piloted aircraft. Um, I think it's fantastic. Amazon must keep flights below 400 feet and keep the drone in sight. And uh, the drone operators must have a private pilot's licence and current medical certificate. It's a pity that... um, (laughs) I was going to say it's a pity that Lufthansa don't have the same rules. Um, And Amazon must supply monthly data to the regulators. Amazon's drones fly at speeds of 50 miles an hour, they operate autonomously, and they automatically avoid objects. The company's conducted test flights outside the United States in countries that don't have our ridiculous regulations. You know, one of the things we have to do in this country is cut the bloody regulations on business. Jeez, everywhere you go, I spend a lot of time overseas, a lot of time in Europe, a lot of time in Asia, a lot of time in South America, and all these countries are running bloody rings around us. You know, we are getting further and further behind. Our internet speed's bloody hopeless. I mean, we've really got to pull our finger out because, you know, otherwise we're going to find ourselves back as a third world country somewhere. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show from Los Angeles. On Voice America Business, we're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business, please, please email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it on air for you. Make sure you subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which goes out to about 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries each month. And you know, we send out 16,000, we get about three unsubscribes a month, so that gives you an idea of the response we get. I'll be back after this next break with um, my guest, fellow medal member Jabu, a great guy. He was brought up in South Africa and he's been exhibited worldwide. He is a tremendous artist and uh, brought up in the apartheid era. He uses his artwork 
to express his experiences and they're all tied to a cause and uh, he works across America helping to raise money for, for all sorts of people and his artwork's unique and vibrant. It's got a twist of both urban and contemporary. It's bloody sensational. So while you, while you listen to his interview, go on to Jaboo Artist, J. A-B-U, artist. Never look at his art. It's bloody fantastic. Jibu is very cool, and I'll be back with him after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the part of the show where we talk to extraordinary people, interesting people, people that have enjoyed great success. You know, the more I go around this planet, the more I realize there are just some extraordinarily talented people around in all walks of life. And I love to speak with them because um, they've all got so much they can teach us about their trials and tribulations, their wins, their challenges. And uh, my aim in these interviews is to find out what are the characteristics that make these people successful? What makes them great? And what can each of us learn from them? My guest today is a fellow metal member, Jabu, who is a South African artist, and he's been exhibited worldwide. He was brought up in the apartheid era. He used his artwork to express his experiences of what is often an unfriendly world, but he brings a really positive element into it. Jabu's artwork is unique, vibrant, and it's a twist of both urban and contemporary. It uses rich and vibrant colours that capture diverse appeal from abstract work to artwork inspired by elements and tapestry that reflect his African background. Here is a quote about Jabu's work from Artist Spectrum magazine. Nuanced by colour, variable variable degrees on depth perception, fluid colour and textures of abstract space, all of the paintings 
exhibits strength in the use of colour and technique to express mood, emotion and milieu. I'm not sure what that means, but I'll ask Jabu in a minute. With paint as the purveyor of vision, all of the paintings achieve poignancy through a unique perspective that is evident throughout his body of work. That's a pretty good review, I reckon. Hi, Jabu. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. How you doing, Bob? Thank you for having me. I'm doing very well, mate. What does that mean? M-I-L-I-E-U. Milieu, I suppose. Um, it's, it's just another word of saying uh, expressionistic. Um, it's, uh, it's just setting a mood. Okay. Um, I'm, obviously, yeah. I'm obviously showing my ignorance. That's the first time I've ever seen it, I must admit. Okay. Yes. Some of your work's been um, acquired to hang in children's hospitals to add colour and provide a soothing atmosphere for children while they heal. Um, the End of the Wild series is about your contribution to saving wildlife, particularly the wild Mustang in the West. Another yes. series is called Transformative Foods based on your awareness of the need for sustainability in eating food that's free of GMOs. Can, can, you, tell yes. us, can you tell us about, a bit about each of these three series? Let's, let's start off with um, the, the children's works. How, how does that create soothing and healing? I, um, I use a lot of colour um, when I create uh, works that... Uh, help children heal it's it's all about color uh as children we when uh we go to school we learn the differentiations between different colors um and uh kids can relate to that right um so um i use a lot of uh movement uh, geometric shapes organic shapes uh, in my work and these are all abstract paintings um when i'm painting i also use uh, music, uh, orchestral music really uh, brings out my feelings when I paint and then helps me select the appropriate colors. So is it is it the um, co- color that's important or the color and the movement or and what sort of colors? Both. Are they, are they um, sort of earthy tones or what, what makes kids feel better? <clears throat> it's uh, both uh, color and movement. Right. Um, the I uh, find that uh, more like bright colors, uh, primary colors, the blues, the greens, um, the yellows. Uh, these are colors that I, you will find in most of my abstract paintings. Uh, that's what kids relate to. But happy colors. With happy colors with the combination of the movement of different uh, shapes. Um, and in their in their brains, they can um, relate and start creating their own. Start seeing different imagery within my imagery. Okay. So yes. now the Into the Wild series. Um, tell us about that. Uh, which series? The Into the Wild series about saving wildlife. Um. I was living in Utah before I moved in LA and I found out that um, wild mustangs were being uh, butchered and their meat sent to Europe for food 
and I thought this um, there must be something wrong here, and so I started supporting the movement to put an end uh, to slaughtering uh, wild mustangs. Right, and so um, yearly, uh, the group there's a group of people in Utah that go out and um, campaign and. Um, pretty much they get to sponsor some of these majestic, beautiful uh, animals and right. um, take care of them. So I started doing paintings to support that cause. Um, so my um, paintings of wild mustangs um, celebrate the freedom for uh, for the wild mustangs. Okay, so that's how... What sort of colours do you use for that? Um, how different is that in um, colour and movement? This is more like spiritual um, colours, the violet colours. Um, um, I try to um, create a feeling of, of freedom with using some of the brightest uh, like neon light colors okay. and and like sun and light rays uh, there's some um, there, there's some areas that I don't use color to focus on the subject matter um, a lot of the canvas you'll see that it's um, it's left uh, rough um, and more clear right so the focus is on is on the horse the next one I find interesting, which is um, the transformative foods. Tell, yes. us about, tell us about that. First, I'm going to talk about the word transformative for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, trans- transformative is all about transformation, change, uh, making a difference, and that's why I chose that. Um, so transformative foods... Um, or transformative art was the way for me to choose those different causes that I'm passionate about. And I am passionate about food and where it comes from. Right. Um, I started this uh, particular uh, series to teach people about cultivating and growing their own food. So when I'm doing this series, I... Um, I go in the backyard, cultivate my food, bring it to the kitchen, and create a dish. And then that dish inspires um, a painting. Um, if you were watching me do the series, I actually take um, a small canvas and I plate the food directly onto the canvas. I then photograph um the food, and then that inspires the new painting. Uh, it is not realism; it's it's an exp- expressionistic uh, feel of what that plate uh, brings to the canvas, and that's how I created a transformative um, food art. Okay. Um, yes. Your latest show is the Nelson Mandela Freedom Series which was shown mm-hmm. at the um, African Arts Festival in 2014, and you've got shows this year in Chicago and at the Harlem 
<laughs> fine arts show. Um, yes. What's the feel between what? What's the reasoning and the f- feel behind the Nelson Mandela Legacy series? I um, I grew up in South Africa. I was born and brought up in South Africa. Um, I got to see firsthand what it meant to grow up under the apartheid or apartheid uh, regime. And um, the reason I came to the States was I was selected as a youth ambassador by the African National Congress, which is the Nelson Mandela uh, organization. So I came to the United States uh, to study peace and conflict resolution. I then used my skills to go back home to help with the transition from uh, the then uh, South African regime to the new dispensation. Um, after that, I decided to come back to the States to uh, further my education. And uh, it was during those years that I realized that the Nelson Mandela movement and his legacy um, is it's key to our generation in South Africa, the new generation in South Africa. Um, it's also key around the world as an example for someone fighting for freedom, which there are a lot of other nations who don't have freedom. Right. So I started this uh, movement to sort of document that and use it as an educational uh, uh, standpoint for people to to learn about what Nelson Mandela sacrificed uh, for us to have the freedom that we enjoy today. Um, But also with his passing to sort of carry the torch uh, and continue his legacy through my uh, paintings. Um, I don't want his name to die away because he's done so much uh, for us. And uh, yeah, I'm afraid that the young generation may not know that if someone does not carry that torch. So what I'm doing is I'm creating uh, T-shirts uh, as well as the well paintings. Uh, the T-shirts have the Nelson Mandela uh, quotes on them, uh, very key, important quotes uh, for people to see. Um, and all of those are available uh, on my website. Right, I'm actually looking at it right now. The um, I, I love the the uh, portrait of Mandela. I think it's great with the geometric shapes. I think it looks fantastic. Um, and uh, so, what's what's the um, what's the reasoning behind the Freedom Series blue, Freedom Series yellow, red, green, white, etc. Uh, initially, when I started the uh, the T-shirts, I was using um, the colours of the new South African flag, right? Uh, and those are the six colours that are on the South African flag. Okay. But now, yeah, as moving forward, I'm expanding on on that series, so it's not just limited on those colours because I believe Nelson Mandela. Uh, as a person is international, uh, the rest of the world relates to him and the work that he's done. Right, that, no question about that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great series. So, when you go into, um, say Chicago or or Harlem, um, how, how many 
pieces of art do you have in the Freedom Series? I have uh, 12 paintings uh, in the Freedom Series. Okay. Um, um, I've sold some. I've sold uh, about six of them, um, but I have the other six. <clears throat> excuse me, the other six are here in uh, LA. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm planning to have a, another show here in LA. When will that be? I the date hasn't been set yet, but I'm working on that. I'll make sure to post it on my right. website, well, com. So what does it mean to be a visual artist today? It, it seems to me that, um, you know, with with the digital age would make it, well, in some ways easier, I suppose, to communicate and get your art known out there. But on the other hand, it um, possibly changes the view of the audience towards um, visual art, does it? Um, to, to a certain extent, but I think the masses are tr uh, starting to realize that um, art, art in our time is different, and I, I believe it has to be different. The masters, when they were painting back in the 1600s, um, they had limited uh, resources. Yeah, The cavemen had limited resources. If they had printers, they, we would have seen more about what they were going through. Um, with, I, I believe that uh, art began to change with the invention of photography. And then as we moved through, uh, less and less people stopped painting because now um, we have photography to document what was going on in the world yep. uh, instead of doing it through art, through art. Um, and, and, and sculpture. Now we have both. We have sculpture, we have photography. So art cannot just be just art. You, you have to do more with it. And for me, uh, personally as an artist, I believe you have to be relevant in the subject matter that sure. you're painting, um, relevant in terms of what's going on around the world. Um, uh, and it doesn't mean that that doesn't have to be fun. It can be fun. It doesn't necessarily have to be political. Um, I don't believe I'm doing political art. I'm just doing art that's fun, that's relevant to my time, my community, and globally. Making the world a better place. That's right. The other, the, the other thing that I think is interesting is um, your use of um, um, different types of media from wood to polish aluminium to all sorts of other mediums for your art. So how, how do you... Um, is, is, does that convey a different feeling? I mean, is wood warmer, that, for example, than than um, aluminum? So you'd get a different um, a, a, get a, a different vibe happening. Or why would you use different types of mediums, and how would you use them? Um, well, the major reason I use different uh, mediums and materials is because they are available to us. Like I yep. said uh, earlier. Um, I don't paint on canvas anymore. Um, again, I think the masters paint on canvas because that was the only material that was available. So 
So I paint on different types of fabric, uh, synthetic fabrics. Um, I and this this type of material works very well when you are painting with acrylics. Right. Um, and then when I'm using when I'm painting on wood, uh, wood works very well with oil paintings. Um, I also go back and forth between watercolor um, and uh, acrylic paints on aluminum. This creates a different type of depth. Um, this, this for me is creating two-dimensional work that appears to be three-dimensional uh, when I'm painting on aluminum. Um, so it depends on the subject matter that I'm painting um, that uh, it helps uh, with the depth of the painting. So how do you... Let, let's just talk about the commercial aspect for a minute. How does, a, how does an artist such as yourself... Firstly, how do you get yourself known out there? Are you um, do you have to be a, a digital um, expert? Do you do you use social media and have to be um, um, very proficient at uh, at social media to get you get the word out there these days? Or how, how does how does the word about Jabu spread through the art community? Well, Bob, the um the art world um, has been created in such a way that it, it is it is for people with lots of money. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to break that stereotype that uh, art is only for the elite, that art should be for everyone. So um, in the world of galleries and museums, it's uh, it's hard to break into that world to be able to be recognized. So what I am doing to get my work out, I create my own shows. Right. Uh, I don't go to the mainstream. I go and find my own space, um, and then I use social media to let people know where to find my work. And then, of course, I exhibit uh, through my uh, website. And I, I find that this uh, way of uh, showing your work, my work, um, helps me reach more people than if I was going to exhibit in the mainstream. Yeah. So I, this is the way to go. The, 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 other, problem, the, the yeah. other problem, of course, with the mainstream is by the time the, um, the galleries or whoever take, what, 40% of the price of the painting i mean it really pushes the price of art up doesn't it i mean it really artificially pushes art beyond a lot of people exactly which which makes it elite because then um if i wanted to reach the masses of my work through the mainstream then only a few would be seeing it only the, the elite would be seeing it so that would be the wrong direction to go. So yeah. that is why I'm going with uh, doing social media and creating my own finding, my own space. Um, I'm in the process of finding a warehouse right now. If there's uh, anyone out there who um, has access to one, I want to create a show. Um, a, so I more people where, can I, come. I tell you where you'd be perfect, somewhere along Abbott Kinney. All right. Yep. Mail it with that. 
that. I mean, it's I don't know whether you've been. Fantastic space. Have you been down there? I've been. I've been down there. I was down there. Um, and I went to Rev, uh, the new big space there. I'm talking about them. Uh, yeah. Rev, V-E-R-V on uh, Santa Monica and Albuquerque. Um, yes. I mean that that that's your that looks like your audience to me. It's a perfect audience for you. Um, so, how many how many um, pieces of art would you produce in in a twelve month period? Uh, in the twelve month uh, period, it really depends on the project. Um, my goal has always been that I don't like to keep my artwork at my studio I want right. I want people to enjoy it so sure. I do it project project by project um, but roughly around uh, 40 to 60 paintings um, but sometimes more okay um, yeah so you'd sell most of them from exhibits rather than the website or do you have Yes, I sell most through uh, my own shows, and also I get commissioned uh, by individuals and institutions uh, to create work. Right. So, yeah. um, So who are your favorite artists? Who are the artists that have had the most influence on you? Michel uh, Basquiat. Basquiat was uh, definitely one of uh, my interests. Uh, Georgia O'Keeffe, uh, her use right. of color, uh, love that. So, yeah, those are the you know the couple. Um, the most important ones. Well, so Picasso, yeah, Picasso. Picasso yeah. He's, yeah. Um, so, what's the next series? What what's the next series? And do you always do series? Is it always sort of the wild wild series or the um, um, the series for children or the food series? Is it always a series? Yeah, it's it's always a series because I find that once I choose um, a subject matter, um, then it becomes so addictive to. For me, just doing one is almost like selfish. Um, unless, of course, it's uh, a painting that I, I am commissioned by an individual to do for just them. But even at that time, I, um, if I do something for an individual that I like, um, I might go on and create similar uh, paintings uh, that are not yeah, exactly the same as the original. Um, so I find this it helps me um, be more creative by seeing how far I can push uh, myself on on that subject matter. And then once I feel I've gone far enough, then I then I switch to something else. So when you pr- produce a series of pieces. Um, I would imagine that very seldom would um, would 
one individual or one organisation buy the whole series. So when you produce a series, do you get sort of attached to them and, and hate to see them broken up into, you know, individual um, collections? Or, or you happy? I, I, I actually like uh, having them broken up. I've had people buy two or three of the series, but having different individuals or institutions have uh, different pieces from that series really creates the history of the series or where it's located. Um, maybe somewhere down my years of painting, I could have the individuals with those different series come and have a show. Um, and it's my way of connect, connecting people and connecting the arts with the people. So, what's the next series for 2015? What Where are you going next? My uh, focus is going to be on, on the wildlife, particularly the rhino and the elephant uh, on the African uh, So, endangered, endangered species. And, that's right. Okay, and when can we expect to yeah. see that in a gallery? Um, in the next uh, two to three months. I oh, really? Be, so you, you're yeah, working on it already? I'm, I'm working on it. I've already started on some pieces. How long does it take you? Like, I'm looking at this um, um, Nelson Mandela um, exhibit um information on your website that that um, yes. Nelson Mandela portrait um, how long would it take you to do something like that uh, to be specific about this piece uh, the very first one I did uh, took me a month it was I, I just started with the simple drawing uh, pencil drawing and then I did a, um, an ink drawing and then I took that piece um, and scanned it into the computer and put in some color and then I spit it out on paper and worked on it again it took me about uh, a month uh, to put it on canvas and, and start working on it again uh, after that the rest of the color uh, series uh, took me about two weeks so, so the main co the main concepts concept usually takes a long time, and then once I figured out what I want, then to develop a series from there, it's it's a, it's a shorter uh, time frame. Sure. So, yeah. people that are out there listening, um, what can they do to help Jabu and his um, transformative art? What can what can our listeners do to help you? Um, first, uh, Bob, I'd like to point out that on February 28th, I uh, had, uh, we did a, a charity event um, in Bel Air. Uh, it was called Wine, uh, Bel Air Wine Festival. Right. And um, we were raising money for uh, eight charities. Uh, the eight charities that we were supporting is the Art of Elysium, Breezy, Chrysalis, Festa, Rotarians for Family Health, who uh, are yeah. helping and supporting people um, 
with AIDS, uh, Make-A-Wish uh, Foundation, the Kitchen, yep. Communi- uh, Kitchen Community, and Sleep. Um, so on my website there on the very front page, um, what I like people, I would like for people to do is go on my homepage and click on the Bella Wine Festival. That will allow you to support those charities, uh, which is part of my uh, transformative art, uh, supporting different causes. Um, I think uh, doing that would uh, help me and. Uh, Help the charities. Together we can, yeah, help the charities and together we can uh, change the world. Jabuth, thanks very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We've been trying to get together for quite a while and we've finally done it. I really appreciate it. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Jabu, go to artistjabu.com. That's A-R-T-I-S-T, artist, Jabu, J-A-B-U.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show right after this short break. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business show. Coming to you this week from beautiful, wonderful Los Angeles. Beautiful one day. Magnificent the next. You know, there's so much stuff to do in this town. It's unbelievable. Now, every business owner knows that developing a highly targeted database is one of the primary keys to being successful. But how do we do that? You know, it takes a long time. I saw a presentation last week where using new media, a business built up by 1 million Facebook fans in 12 months and is generating 20 million a year. But it's not easy. It takes a lot of dedication. So let me just tell you about four effective ways to build a large list of targeted prospects. And building a a strong business list is probably the most crucial thing you could ever do in business because it it maintains a steady rising income as you leverage off these people. So how would you feel if you could rake in thousands of dollars for just sending out one email? People do it, lots of them. It's possible, and that's what a targeted mailing list can do for you. Once you've got your list, you can almost make cash at will with just one click of a mouse, as long as you've developed a close and trusting bond with the subscribers. If they like you, they relate to you, and you've got a good product, easy to sell it to them. I mean, if you've only got a list of 5,000 people and you send out an email for a product that you make 20 bucks on, even if just one person in every hundred purchased the product, you've just stuck a thousand bucks in your jeans. So databases are important. So I've got four proven techniques to build your list fast. Strategy one, make a compelling offer, but don't offer too much. 
I'm sure you've seen millions of opt-in pages, but what you may not have noticed is the incentive. You don't want to offer them too much because you want to be able to continue to match or exceed the offer. And you have to find a good balance. So you need to offer something interesting or they'll just overlook your opt-in. But if you offer everything in one go, they won't ever have a reason to stay on your list. So you can offer something like a seven-day course in which the subscriber will get a new email every day for seven days on how to do whatever it is you do. And after these seven days are up, you can simply market them a much larger, more in-depth course, which brings them up to the next level. So if the seven-day course helped them, then they come in for the second one. Um, Then making them stay, you just need to offer them reasonable gifts every little while. The second strategy is building a list, is not to focus on building the list, but on building relationships. Building a list of subscribers isn't enough to keep your clients happy. If you treat them like numbers on a list, you won't get a good response. So when people have questions, answer them fully and wholeheartedly and rapidly. And once you've established great relationships with your list and have gained their trust, they'll tell their friends, you get more members, more people coming in. And you don't want to break that trust by offering stuff that they're not going to want. Now, the third strategy in building a list is to make it easy to sign up and and have an opt-in section everywhere. You're going to have visitors coming at you from all different pages, not necessarily just one. So have an opt-in section or at least an attractive link to your squeeze page on as many of these pages as possible. For those of you who may not be familiar with the term squeeze page, it's a landing page created to solicit opt-in email addresses from prospective subscribers. Um, You've got to make it really easy to sign up. Don't ask them 100 questions. All you want to do is get their name and their email address. That's it. And the final is building, is buying the ad, not the list. It can take some time to build a good extensive list, and people often get impatient and are looking for shortcuts. But if you buy lists, it's probably not the way to go because the first problem is that nine times out of ten when you buy a list, you're buying lists from a spammer and they probably didn't get their list ethically and most likely used spamming techniques. And uh, these targeted prospects are probably not targeted for you. So almost none of these people are probably interested in being on your list because it has nothing to do with what they originally gave their information away for. So what you can do is pay for a solo ad in a newsletter that caters to your niche. And, uh, you know... All of this is time-consuming, but there's no time to start like right now. And a great database is the key to building a successful business. If you're a regular listener to the show, you're benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and become a contact of mine on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show. And remember, it's much easier to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. And it's a lot more fun. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic week. 
You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.